We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Formerly legal counsel to President Trump, Jenna Ellis. Good morning. Welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. No, Jenna doesn't have a cold. This is not her having a bad voice morning. Uh, My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and I am filling in for Jenna, uh, just as I did yesterday. Um, I believe she'll be back with you tomorrow. Is that right? No. Somebody else. Monday. Jenna will be back on Monday, but I won't be here tomorrow morning. Um, So you'll have someone else uh, in the chair tomorrow morning. Uh, As I mentioned, my name is Abraham Hamilton III. I am the host of the Hamilton Corner, which airs right here on American Family Radio in the evening. So as I said yesterday, I get to uh, bring you to work, many of you, uh, if not most of you, as well as Drive home with you in the evening because I will be on again live this evening uh, on my normal time at 5 p.m. Central Time or 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I believe uh, tomorrow through tomorrow and Thursday, right? Uh, you'll have Alan West in for Jenna Ellis. But today you have me. So it is my honor, my privilege to be with you this morning. It is my custom on my program, which I'm going to carry over today into this program to begin the show with the Word of God. I think it's vitally important uh, that before we endeavor to navigate the issues of the day, that we have our hearts and our minds framed uh, according to the Word of God. And I I also count it a privilege to uh, help many of you make your way to work this morning by having the Word of God front and center uh, as you begin your day. I often say uh, that worship is not a particular activity, but worship is a lifestyle. There are lots of things we do within the lifestyle of worship. For example, uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs unto the Lord, uh, gathering with his saints uh, for corporate worship, reading his word, communing with him, praying, um, obeying his word, uh, doing good deeds. All of these things are, are aspects or actions that are taken within the context of worship. But the reality is that worship is a lifestyle. And the pinnacle, the pinnacle of this lifestyle of worship is obedience. You know, there are lots of things we can say, uh, but Jesus said it himself, as the Apostle John recorded in John chapter 14, if we love him, we'll obey him. The pinnacle of this lifestyle of worship is obedience. Now, I want to begin uh, this morning by turning to 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm just going to read verses 3 through 8. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Now, just as yesterday we, we turned to 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's epistle to Timothy, uh, 2 Peter is also an epistle written by the Apostle Peter. 
Uh, it's important to note that the time period in which the Apostle Peter penned this particular epistle, and as I said yesterday, an epistle is a letter. That is what an epistle is. It's a fancy word that simply means a letter. And because it is a letter, uh, I encourage big chunk readings. When you read epistles like this, I encourage uh, reading the entire letter in one sitting, as you would consider other types of letter, because the Word of God uh, is a book, but in reality, it consists of multiple books with various genres of literature, and you would not approach, for example, an epistle the same way you would approach uh, the Psalms, for example, uh, which is which is largely comprised of a poetic uh, language and, and the poetry genre uh, of literature. But Second Peter is, in fact, an epistle, and it is written about the mid-60s A.D., uh, prior to which we know from church history, uh, the Apostle Paul's and the Apostle Peter's uh, execution under Nero in about 68 A.D. Now, the overarching purpose of Apostle Peter's epistles is to encourage— well, that was—say that three times fast, Apostle Peter's epistles— <laughs> uh, was to encourage the body of Christ because they were receiving this epistle at a time uh, when there had been an appreciable uptick in overt and hostile persecution of the followers of the way of Christ in the first century. And as I mentioned, that it culminates for Peter and Paul with them being executed in about 68 AD. Uh, but Peter is writing to encourage the body of Christ to endure persecution and maintain fidelity to Christ, to remain faithful to Christ and not only uh, endure, but to thrive in obeying him as the persecution mounts. So this is the backdrop. Now, I point this out to you uh, because we're living in a time when hostility towards Christ following in our own nation here in America is increasing, you know, and uh, as 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. The only question, the question is not whether we will face persecution. The only question is what type and of what intensity. And make no mistake about it, in our country, we have not yet reached a place where our brothers and sisters in faith in places like Nigeria and uh, Sudan and Iran and China that they're facing. Uh, but don't, I would encourage you not to demean the types of persecution that, that is occurring in our country. Often, if you study church history, uh, starting with the scriptures, you'll find that there's this is kind of, and I've heard it described as a squeeze of persecution and then the smash. Often, the squeeze is what precipitates the smash. You know, before you get to the place where you have, you know, Nero chopping off heads, you have things happening like uh, you can no longer preach the name of Jesus in this particular location. You know, speech is censored. Uh, occupations are challenged. Uh, people uh, try to have others terminated from employment because of their commitment to Christ. And those types of things intensify over time and then culminate in uh, kind of the smash, the physical overt types of things that are happening. That happened. So right now, uh, things are happening in, in Auburn University, you know, in Alabama. You have students and some uh, faculty members who have the audacity to gather and sing worship songs to the Lord and to uh, baptize people who have newly given their lives to the Lord. What happens? You get a letter from the Freedom From Religion Foundation fired off. Why? Oh, government employees shouldn't have First Amendment freedom. Says who, where? But these are the types of things that are indicative. You have the Jack Phillips phenomenon. Bake the cake. 
Well, I won't bake a unique cake for you to celebrate something that the word of God prohibits, but anything in my shop you can buy if you want. No, I want you to make a custom cake. Bear no Stutzman. These are the types of things that are indicative of the squeezings that occur. You have parents in California who have the audacity to show up at a school board meeting to say, you know what, I don't think you should be teaching my child about social transitioning. What happens? Local media gets hit wind of it, and Call finds out the, the, the parent's place of employment. Calls the employer. Employer terminates the parent. These are the things that are happening in our country now. They're indicative of the squeeze of persecution. But take heart, because the difficulties surrounding us, though it may be promulgated to try to stamp out our faith, if you study church history, you'll find usually the opposite occurs. It gives an opportunity for strength to be strength, for faith to be strengthened and for the body of Christ to be more unified than ever before. You know, after Peter and John uh, had the threats from the Sanhedrin, when they went back to the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4 to ask for boldness, you don't see anybody over there saying, well, well, let's see. Let's let, maybe you're mis- misinterpreting what they said to you, John. <laughs> now you have the church in unity crying out to the Lord for boldness. Now back to the text, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. This is a portion of scripture that I want to submit to you uh, for your consideration. And, and I pray that uh, you would welcome it to rest in your heart and that you will meditate upon it as you go throughout your day Today, this is what the word of God says. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very sobering passage of Scripture. Very sobering. Because the Apostle Peter is writing this, he's pinning this, as the Holy Spirit is is, is carrying him about to present to believers. The Apostle Peter is conveying to believers within the context of ascending persecution that you, brother, you, sister, Me as well. We must supplement our faith. Our faith must be bolstered by these godly qualities, these spiritual disciplines, and even fruit of the Spirit being ours, but not only being ours, but increasing. And then the Apostle Peter says, if, which is a conditional conjunction, if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they protect you, they fortify you, they keep you, they keep me from being ineffective or unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some translations render that barren and unproductive. The reason why this passage is so sobering, because it offers to us the notion that the potentiality exists for you as saved as you are to be barren and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
which brings to the fore what I describe as a two-pronged strategy of the enemy. The first prong of the strategy is to keep as many people as possible from receiving the free gift of salvation. To keep as many people as possible from being born again. Because the reality is Satan knows his end. He doesn't know hell. Satan's end is ultimately eternal damnation and torment. He wants to deceive as many people as possible to join him. You ever heard the expression, misery loves company? We get an indication of this when the demoniac in Gadara, when Jesus' foot steps on the soil of the Gadarean region, the demoniac cries out, has the son of man come to torment us before our time? <laughs> Which shows that the demons know their end is eternal judgment and, and damnation and torment. The, it also reveals that the demons know that there is a time when this will occur. The first prong of Satan's strategy is to get as many people as possible to join him in eternal torment. But the second prong of his strategy, if he cannot accomplish this, is to render as many professing believers as possible barren and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could rightly assess the goings-on of the American nation as subsequent generations of Americans experiencing less and less commitment to Christ. Never will I say we've ever been perfect as a nation, not at, at all. But the expressed desire and willingness to submit to the authority of Christ has drifted and diminished over time. Because increasing generations of professing believers have been rendered barren and unproductive in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To say it more simply, the second prong of Satan's strategy is if you are a professing believer, to do as much as possible to make sure the faith that you profess to have doesn't impact anyone beyond you. To impede your involvement in the execution of the Great Commission. Now, oftentimes people think that trials and, and, and not just trials, but attacks from, from the enemy come in the form of, you know, circumstances of lack or deprivation or things of that nature. But can I tell you something? Satan also likes to construct prisons of luxury, prisons of comfort, prisons of ease, because they have the wherewithal to lull you and me into this false sense of security to where it becomes a <laughs> ease into idolatry. We won't come right out and say, well, the Lord is not our all in all, but we have other things we elevate to the same levels of, of devotion. You know, we can go hunting all hours of the morning. We can watch football three, seven, eight hours a day. But then when it comes to the things of God, we... I'm so worried to worry, but I'm a little sleepy. It's not a deficiency in energy. It's a deficient deficiency in priority. What I want to encourage us with this morning is to refuse to be rendered barren and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Guest toasting for Jenna Ellis this morning, I am. Sound like guest toasting, I am. <laughs> I'm Abraham Hamilton III, host of the Hamilton Corner, which airs in the evenings right here 
on American Family Radio. We certainly invite you to check out the Hamilton Corner in the evenings if you are able to do so. Uh, and if not, you can also uh, get the program on podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast to be notified uh, when each episode airs. Um, the program airs on a number of different outlets. We also air on the NRB Television Network on Friday evenings with the television program at uh, 8 p.m. Central Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday evenings. All right. Now, I want to share something with you because on, on my show, I talked about, uh, just to be fair, I, I'm an equal opportunity truth teller. So I endeavor to tell the truth no matter what it affects uh, to tell the truth on both sides, I think the best way uh, to engage, first of all, as a Christian, is to be a lover of truth. But secondarily, by being willing to tell the truth, you actually help those uh, who who would want your support in being better at what they do, especially in the political arena. Um, but the I guess this was two weeks ago now, I, th- I believe so, when the interview with Christian Welker, uh, the new host of Meet the Press, aired with former President Donald Trump. And he offered what, what, in my opinion, was a horrendous answer uh, concerning abortion, uh, where I, I don't find it to be prudent, uh, morally upright, nor even wise politically when you have uh, the president who was responsible for filling the Supreme Court with the justices who overturned Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, to then all of a sudden become reticent at his commitment to being pro-life. I thought the answer was poultry. However, um, in the interview, and I'm, I, I wanna, I'm going to point out something, play a clip for you, because it's indicative of the point I want to make here in this moment, uh, that it is undoubtedly a fact that regressives will attempt to polarize our nation over the issue of abortion, and it will be front and center in the 2024 presidential election. Uh, for what it's worth, I don't think uh, trying to uh, be mild on the issue and uh, is an effective strategy. We need we need moral clarity, especially on an issue so foundational uh, to our individual lives and really to the future of our nation as protecting the unborn. You know, the preamble to our Constitution says that our founders drafted the Constitution, among many other purposes, to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. Now, I ain't a rocket scientist, and this might not be a little rocket surgery, nor am I a biologist. But I don't think you have posterity unless you have children. You know, and if you, you know, from where I'm from, some people might say churn. <laughs> you don't have posterity without children, you know. And it, it, it just, it's amazing to me how you have so many Republican candidates for the presidency that refuse to say clearly, you know, ten toes down to the ground, square-shouldered, killing babies is not an American value. Of course, we want to be uh, compassionate. We want to care about people in all circumstances, including and especially those uh, who, who, in, who conceive children in difficult environments. However, the circumstances of a child's conception does not dictate the value of the child. What is wrong with us? The analysis should begin with the baby. <laughs> the baby is the only one that can't stand up and fight for his or her own rights. There's no reason why we have to kill the babies. But there is a consistent talking point circulating amongst regressive spokesmouths, and they continue to spout lunacies 
and really outright lies to say, oh, well, there's nobody among the Democrat Party that wants to see babies killed up all to the fifth, sixth, seventh month, all the way up to the 40th week of gestation. And in some instances, even after the baby is born, nobody wants that. Really? That is the talk all over. You hear it. You probably have heard it numerous times yourselves. It's a refrain that Kristen uh, Welker employed numerous times in her interview with President Trump. And I want you just to refresh your memory, and this is indicative of what's circulating in our nation right now, as a talking point. I want you to listen to uh, this clip. Uh, it's clip number one. Go. Because nobody wants to see five, six, seven, eight, nine months. Nobody wants to see abortions when you have a baby in the womb. I said with Hillary Clinton when we had the debate, I made a statement, rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month. You're allowed to do that, and you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Again, no one and, and again, is arguing listen, for that. That's look, not a part of anyone's platform. Did you hear that? Again, no one is arguing for that. Early in the interview, she said it again. Now, I thought she was supposed to be a journalist. <laughs> she asked a question of the former president of the United States, uh, current ca- candidate for the presidency of the United States, yet she inter- interjects <laughs> kind of like a, a, an offensive lineman, you know, got a block to protect the quarterback. Nobody is arguing for that, really. Okay. And I talked about this last night on the Hamilton Corner. Let me turn your attention as an example to Arizona to show you something that's happening right now. There is a group in Arizona called Arizona for Abortion Access. What is happening? They are currently circulating a petition to amend the state constitution to create a ballot initiative similar uh, similar to what just happened in Ohio, all right, to create a ballot initiative to amend the Arizona state constitution to expand protections and access to baby murder in the state. And I know that makes people uncomfortable, but I... Listen, equal opportunity to truth teller. It is amazing to me that people think that they can sidestep the truth by invoking another language. What am I talking about? So to avoid trying to refer to the child as a baby, which every American citizen would immediately recognize is what you're saying. They want to use a Latin term, fetus. Guys, let me just tell you very plainly. The word fetus is just Latin for baby. That's literally, that's like, that's like if you, if you, you want to talk about you're hungry. You don't want to say you're hungry in English. You'll say in Spanish. Hombre. You're saying the same word. You're saying the same word. But you're attempting to use verbiage to try to act as if you're saying something differently. So you, you can say baby in how many, many languages you want to say it. Fetus. You know, you can say bebe in Spanish, however many times you want to say it. It's still a baby. So this group in Arizona is circulating a, pet- a petition to amend their state constitution. Why are they doing so? Because the state of Arizona passed a law following uh, the Dobbs case, which filed Roe and Casey into the dustbins of American history, thanks be to God, uh, that prohibited abortions after 15 weeks. Now, I'll just tell you plainly. It is alarming to me there are numbers of people that want to ascribe value and merit to a child based on the process of gestational development. You, at 40 or 50 years old, are the same DNA substance that you were at three weeks of gestation. All of the information that you will ever become is present in your DNA at the moment of conception. 
And we now have the wherewithal for the first time in about the last 50 some odd years to have the conversations about these items. What is magical about 15 weeks that is not magical at 14 weeks and three days? Now, I understand the law, the the Mississippi Gestational Age Act that was promulgated for the express purposes of triggering the challenge to Roe. But I'm talking about we can now have the conversation on a state-by-state basis as to what's being asserted. Now, but that is the state of the law in Arizona. But this group, Arizona, Arizona for Abortion Access, doesn't like that law. And so they're promulgating a constitutional amendment that would allow late-term abortions directly in contravention to what Christian Welker just said that you just heard and all of these talking heads all around the country are saying, nobody's asking for that. Really? Okay. What is in the verbiage to this proposed state constitutional amendment in Arizona? I'm so glad you asked. The, pro- the proposed amendment states this, quote, every individual has a fundamental right to abortion, end quote. And the state will not adopt any law that, quote, denies restricts or interferes with that right before fetal viability unless justified by a compelling state interest that is achieved by the latest, I'm sorry, by the least restrictive means, end quote. Now that is just legal terminology that basically says that any law that prohibits abortion before what they call fetal viability will be subject to strict scrutiny, all right? Now most Medical professionals define fetal viability as somewhere between 23 and 24 weeks of gestation. But that's not it. That's in the proposed constitutional amendment. But wait, there's more. The proposed constitutional amendment goes on to say, quote, that the state of, I'm sorry, that the state of Arizona will not enact a law that prevents, quote, an abortion after fetal viability that in the good faith judgment of a treating healthcare professional is necessary to protect the life or physical or, here's the, here's the key, mental health of the pregnant individual, end quote. Did you catch that? So the first, first portion of the amendment, pre-viability. You can't have a law that restricts killing children before they're viable in the womb. Which means, if they're not viable, according to their, their de- definition of viability, which is undetermined in this proposed amendment, then you could kill them. <laughs> but then it goes on to say, and even after they're viable, if there's a good faith judgment that in order to protect the mental health of the pregnant individual, now I'm just, I'm just going to take a side note briefly. Y'all going to put pregnant individual in your state constitution in Arizona? You can't say pregnant woman? You, 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 you giving a hat tip to the birthing person? Complete lunacy that they're seeking to put in the state constitution of Arizona. But I want you to notice that they are literally considering, Christian Welker, I hope you're listening. You're probably not, but I hope you would. They're literally considering making it a constitutional right to kill children after viability. Guess what that means? Late-term abortion. Oh, any event that is necessary for mental health. And how would they define mental health? (laughs) Great question. Which literally could be anything because they leave it unspecified. So Kristen Welker, much to your contradiction, this is happening now. Similar legislation or or constitutional, state constitutional amendments are being considered 
now. The state of Ohio's ballot initiative that just failed where citizens in Ohio wanted to increase the, 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 the voting margin that was necessary to amend the state constitution above a simple majority, that failed. You want to know why? Because people who love death want to enshrine in the Ohio state constitution the right to slaughter children at any point of gestation. This is happening. Yet, the spin is going to be employed, like Christian Welkers did that you just heard, to say, nobody wants that. Nobody's asking for that. That simply is not true. There are people who want it. There are people who are attempting to enshrine it into state law at multiple levels, including amending state constitutions to accomplish it. You have legislation that has been passed in New York State that allows the exact same thing. When they not only allow allow the slaughter of children, they allow random people to do it. In most places, physicians are required. In New York, they allow healthcare professionals that extend beyond physicians. That can include what nurse, nurse practitioners. It can include this this. This is happening. So I'm sharing this with you for the primary purposes of providing you uh, with the necessary information so you can refute the lies when they're spouted. When you are in, in your daily lives communicating the necessity of preserving the sanctity of human life and highlighting the, the extremism. You know, Bill Clinton's adage, safe, legal, and rare. The Democrat Party doesn't believe that. Really, many of them didn't believe it then. And when I talk about the Democrat Party, I'm talking about the policy, the, the platform planks for the party. There may be individual Democrats who might agree with that. But how many Democrat politicians will come out and say that? The notion of the blue dog Democrat, <laughs> that's by and large not, does not exist. I, I am aware of some examples, some exceptions to that uh, in, the, in the state legislative level but not on a national level, not on a national level. So when you hear people say these kind of things, and you're going to hear this talking point over and over and over again, nobody wants that. Nobody's asking for that. Democrats don't want that. I want you to be aware that that's simply not the case. It's simply not the case. Now, we had a conversation yesterday about immigration. And I want to follow up on that conversation. How much time do I have to end of the break? I don't, I don't have all the time. There we go. I see it. I got it. All right. So I'll just set it up because I don't think we have the time to, to play the clip. But we had the conversation yesterday about the reality of what's happening on our southern border. And I've heard many people describe, describe it as an invasion. But I made the statement yesterday and I stand by it. Can you truly describe something as an invasion if the door is being left open? <laughs> And an invitation has been disseminated to say, y'all come now, you hear? What happen- what's happening on our southern border, in my view, is not an, inv- not an invasion. It's an invitation that's being accepted. We have record numbers of illegal aliens infiltrating our nation. Yet, Mr. Joseph Robinette Biden, for example, just last week, announced something like, the extension of emergency protective status for 500,000 illegal, illegal immigrants from Venezuela. Do you think that will curb or incentivize more illegal immigration? 
And these people have such animosity and antipathy for the American people. They'll say things like, yes, yes, we granted this extension of protected status because we want to try to get a hold on illegal immigration. Really? In just the last two to three years, there have been six to seven million people, and I believe that's a conservative estimate, who have entered our country illegally. That's two states' worth of people. I said it yesterday. Louisiana has about four million people. Mississippi, about three million people. Two states' worth in a couple years. This is unsustainable, but it's happening intentionally. I'll explain more on the other side side of this break. Leisha had found herself in an unplanned pregnancy and wasn't sure what to do. She searched for pregnancy services and found a pre-born network clinic where she was counseled, supported, and offered a free ultrasound. After seeing her baby and hearing the heartbeat, she cried. She was certain she would keep her baby forever. Leisha gave birth to a baby girl who is smart, beautiful, and full of life. Often, she visits that same clinic and receives free clothes, diapers, and more. Because of your generous support, Preborn writes 200 stories just like these every day. $28 can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection and doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers in crisis choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. Abraham Hamilton III here. So the point I was making before the break is that what is happening is intentional. Yesterday I explained that it is nothing more than the Cloward Piven strategy uh, applied to immigration. When you have tens of thousands of people coming in every single day. Every single day. And especially on the backdrop of having record low illegal immigration during the Trump years. It's not that we don't know what needs to be done. It's an unwillingness to do it. (laughs) And so what is happening is intentional. Now, I want to offer to you a perfect example of what I'm talking about when I say If they didn't want this to happen, they could stop it. Because I want to show you a contrasting priority for the old Biden administration. That's what it is. For the old Biden administration. There is a family who moved to the United States of America from Germany in 2008. They are the Romke family. They are evangelical Christians who wanted to rear their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so they set out to disciple them from their home via homeschooling in Germany. But there's one small problem. In Germany, homeschooling is practically illegal. So the Romkes fled Germany, came to America, and were initially granted Asylum status based on the German government's hostility toward their faith and their commitment to homeschooling. And it's not just their faith, but it's because their faith has driven them to want to school their children from home. In 2008, they had five children. They now have seven children. 
Two of their seven children, having been born in the United States, are American citizens. Two of their other children have now Amer- married American citizens and, are wel- and have welcomed their first American citizen grandbaby as a result of their marital union. Well, what transpired thereafter? The Obama administration initially filed an action against the Romkeys to have their asylum status revoked. (laughs) And the Biden administration has just sent them a notice, though they've lived here for the last 15 years, (laughs) just sent them a notice that they're being deported. I want you to listen to this clip from this weekend when the Romkeys were interviewed about this. It's clip number two. Go. In 2008, a family fled from Germany to Tennessee after they were fined for homeschooling their kids in Germany. Five years later, their asylum claim was denied, claiming they weren't persecuted. But they were told their stay was indefinite. Now, after 15 years of making the United States their beloved home, they are facing deportation. Uva and Hanalore Ramke join us along with Kevin Bowden, an attorney, with the U.S. Home School Legal Defense Association. Thank you all for being here. Uva, let me start with you. Um, You claimed asylum because homeschooling is illegal in Germany, correct? And you've been homeschooling here in the United States ever since. That's correct, yes. And we were actually granted asylum first by the immigration judge here in the United States. And you, and and Hanalore, you made home in, in Tennessee. You've thrown roots down there. Um, and when did this notice come that your family is going to be deported? Um, this month on the 6th, we were there in Knoxville uh, at the office. And uh, yes, and then we got this notification, the order for removal. So we can't do anything about what's going on in the border. <laughs> but this family that was initially granted asylum status, but then was sued by the, the Obama Department of Justice initially, and then ultimately appealed and sustained through the Biden, the, the Biden administration, they're now notified that they're going to be deported. Coincidence? Coincidence? I don't think so. I should have said this earlier. But we will open the phone lines this segment. If you want to join the program, you're welcome to do so. The number to call is 888-589-8840. That number again is 888 589 8840. If you'd like to join the program to weigh in on any of these things, you're welcome to do so. Uh, But I just found that to be uh, uh, amazingly telling where you see the contrast between 10 and 11,000 illegal immigrants every single day coming through our southern border. Status for 500,000 Venezuelans granted just last week, yet the Romkeys are being told, nah, but, but, but your asylum status. And, and this, this, is, this is the thing that's rich. So the, the immigration department, this is, this is so rich to me, uh, said that, well, the Romkeys have not sufficiently shown that Germany's enforcement of its general school attendance law amounts to persecution against them. <laughs> they, go, they go on to say, well, because Germany is, in, is committed to a pluralistic society, 
And so that, the Romkis desire not to be educated, to be participants in Germany's pluralistic society, is not here it is. The goal in Germany is for an open pluralistic society. Teaching tolerance to children of all backgrounds helps to develop the ability to interact as a fully functioning citizen in Germany. <laughs> really? So being compelled by the government to abandon their faith, that's not persecution from the government? And I want you to note that the deportation order will literally force the Romke's parents <laughs> and five, well, actually now, three of their seven children to leave the United States where they'll have their two youngest children who would be American citizens and two of their other older children who've married American citizens. It's literally government-compelled family separation. Does that ring a bell? But as you can see, it is selective, allowable family separation. With that, we'll get to the phones now. We're starting in Texas where Jerry is on the line. Jerry, thank you for calling the Hamilton Corner. Welcome to the program. Oh, brother, you hit it on the head. I was going to say, what happened to the outcry from the liberals and the regressives on, but we can't separate the family. We've got to <laughs> keep it as a unit. Or maybe, just maybe, they should claim to be Venezuelan. They can trans-identify as Venezuelan. I don't know. Just a suggestion. I'll let you go, brother, because we know it's not because of their faith. <laughs> Jerry, thank you for your call. Oh, they can say, why well, I self-identify as having entered the country through the southern border. <laughs> and I, I take, take safe haven under the Venezuelan extension of temporary protected status. Wow. We'll stay in Texas. We'll go next to Mark, who is on the line. Mark, thank you for calling. Jenna Ellis in the morning. Abraham Hamilton III sitting sure. in for her. Go right ahead, Mark. I appreciate it, Abraham. You always have great topics. And I think Jerry kind of hit it on the head there. I mean, uh, maybe they just need to fly to Texas and kind of walk across the bridge and come back in just to have a little vacation. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand what's going on. Um, this is a terrible. This is terrible for their family. I think it's terrible as a country in a whole. You know, uh, there's so much information about that, uh, the land of the free and uh, people who came over here, and uh, now this is happening. But mm. today there's going to be, you know, 20,000 people walk across that border today mm. between Texas and California, right? Mm, Maybe yeah. more. So it's right, Mark. So right. Thank you for your call and your comments. Uh, we'll go next to Ohio where Sally is on the line. Sally, thank you for calling the Hamilton Corner. Welcome to the uh, Jenna well, Ellis in the well, morning. Mr. Hamilton. I'm so used to saying the Hamilton <laughs> Corner. I did this yesterday, too. This is Jenna's show. I listen. It's okay. I listen to both. So well, thank you for doing that. Thank you very much. Go right ahead. Yeah, I'm working. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm working with the uh, um, Protect Women Ohio and mm -hmm. Susan B. Anthony list, mm -hmm. trying to um, get people educated about what's really in this amendment. And one of the things that you haven't covered yet that I know about is that it will remove all parental rights to, because they're using the terminology individual. Mm. Mm. An individual can be anyone any of any age at this point. 
And, and I, some people have said that if that happens, they can also go through state laws and say, well, the age of, uh, you know, being an underage um, participant in being coerced by a, a majority adult, that law will fall, too. There will be no such thing as children that are raped anymore. Mm. Are you referring to the, the ballot in- initiative? Uh, the, the proposed, in Ohio. Okay, in Ohio. That's what I thought. Yeah, very well said. Yeah. And, and we have there, there's information available uh, for listeners uh, and viewers at iVoterGuide.com uh, specifically on the Ohio ballot initiative. Uh, and I encourage you to go and, and, and become informed, educate yourself concerning this. Uh, but there is no mistake about it that there is a concerted effort. And really, you ha- we have documents that show this. This has been an objective even all the way back to the Communist Manifesto and the Karl Marx and uh, and, and Ingalls uh, <clears throat> to where they want to really eviscerate the familial const- the familial structure of having parent-child relations. That having that relationship defined based on that biological affinity to remove it to where, no, children really are children of the state. Uh, as you know, Melissa Harris-Perry said years ago on MSNBC, they're not your children, they're all of our children. Uh, that is uh, an, 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 an objective. We'll go next to Mississippi to where Jim is on the line. Jim, thank you for calling Jenna Ellis in the morning. Go right ahead. Hey, my question is um, how can we uh, or how can groups get the word to people so we can write our congressman and the White House um to complain about this. If I remember right, during the Obama administration, they were going to deport these people, but the outcry was so great that they decided to change their minds because they thought it would hurt them. Well, thank you for your, for your call and your question, Jim. Initially, the Romkeys were granted asylum status. The immigration judge granted their asylum status. The Obama administration took it upon themselves to file a lawsuit to challenge that immigration judge's ruling. Well, over the course of time, as things tend to go pretty slowly, uh, the, the, that Obama-era challenge had been, has been appealed, ultimately making its way up to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then you had um, a declination on the part of the U.S. Supreme Court to hear an appeal previously. And now the Romkeys have an attorney through the Homeschool Legal Defense Association Uh, which I definitely recommend to those who are listening. HSLDA.org is the website. Um, Kevin Bowden is representing them and is attempting to appeal, um, appeal this latest effort now by the Biden administration to immediately implement deportation of the Romke family. And so, Uh, It would be helpful to raise this issue by contacting your congressman, uh, but specifically the the matter is in the court system now. So uh, the public outcry will not change the court proceeding. However, it could influence the Biden administration sufficiently to where they rescind their immediate application of deportation orders. So it's kind of a combination of public pressure could help. But ultimately, it will be determined in the courts. Uh, But it would be helpful to contact your congress members to inform them 
uh, of your displeasure at this matter. We'll go next to Kentucky, to where Frank is on the line. Frank, thank you for calling Jenna Ellis in the morning. Go right ahead. Hi, Brother Abraham. Uh, Brother Abraham, uh, I was calling about a couple of things about the uh, the family uh, that is uh, in the United States. They want to go back to Germany. Mm-hmm. I I wanted to say that whoever uh, whoever is in, is in the sound of my voice, pray for this family. Mm. Constantly pray for this family. They, they, they're this is this is evil. This is wrong. And another thing about the babies, no one should kill a baby. If they want, what, they they act like it's some kind of revenge against the baby. They throw the baby in the trash can, like they're mad at the baby. Mm-hmm. So the baby didn't do nothing to them. Uh, they, no one should kill a baby. We got some problem with the baby. Take the baby to a, a bar station or a a uh, place where they, you know, a bar station or some place where they accept babies. You know, uh, you can take them to the baby to the a police station. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. Well so said. Th- well said. I have to leave it there. You probably can hear the music, but it's very well said. There are safe haven laws all across our country where you can bring the child, no questions asked. Uh, but there's really, as you said, no no, no excuse, no justification for, for killing the baby. And I will reiterate what I said earlier. The circumstances of a child's conception does not determine that child's value. And it is also uh, vitally important that followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are willing to open our homes, really, uh, to adopt children. There's so much more we can do, uh, but it begins with opening our hearts. I'll end the program the way I began it. Uh, worship is a lifestyle, and that lifestyle is typified by obedience. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their network clinics rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com.